Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Hannah May, and this is Flying Faith Talks, Biblical Counseling for the Creative Mind. This episode was recorded on November 9th, 2022. This is episode number 13, and the title of today's episode is Perfectly Different. No, literally, it's called Perfectly Different. Guys, today's guest is extra, extra special because this isn't just a person I recently met. This is actually someone I've been good friends with for a good while now, at least over a year. And his name is Matt Starr. Won't you say hello to everyone, Matt Starr? Hello, everybody. And hello to my fellow McCoy super friends because we both were interviewed by Jason McCoy. Yeah, we were. And well, Matt Starr here, I actually had the pleasure of reviewing his first book. It is part of his Gatekeeper series, and it was called Crusade of the Emerald Gale. And I've read a lot of books throughout my time critiquing other people's works and stuff, but his world building showed such immense talent. It was, it was rare for me to see such good talent with his world building, and I absolutely adored your Will of the Wisp creatures. I really loved those. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Those were a fan favorite for sure. <laughs> and uh, recently, right now, if you guys are interested in finding his work, Crusade of the Emerald Gale, and you know what? You've got the next book being edited right now. It isn't, isn't that what you told me earlier? It is scheduled to be edited, although it is being edited right now because I am putting it through some content edits to beef it out so that it actually earns the working title, which is Across Boring Lands. Just Ooh. as intense as Crusade of the Emerald Gale, I hope. Oh, and I can yes. only hope that I can keep this going because there's only so much intensity in the world. But I believe in myself. <laughs> Robert E. Howard could do it. So can I. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could. And he, he is quite the talent, guys. And I will also add, of course, um, for those of you who are interested, especially guys who want a dark fantasy, this guy is your best bet because it, it is pretty dark. It is pretty violent in certain places. So, ladies, if you got a squeamish stomach, it might not be for you. But, guys, if you want something real hardcore, you know, you really want to get into a fight scenes where, you know, it's larger than life and yet it expresses biblical principle at the same time, you know, at least promotes biblical truth, Crusade of the Emerald Gale, I highly do recommend. And you can find it on Amazon and Goodreads, and you can find Matt Starr here on Instagram and TikTok. So you guys really should look him up. He is a super fun guy, and he does all these really amazing book reviews as well. And I enjoy reading them on Instagram every week. He's got another cool one with a cool reel on it. I, I really oh, like looking you. those up. <laughs> yeah, he, nice. he's amazing at those. Well, Matt and I, we've known each other for a long time now, and yet what I find really useful and most enjoyable in our relationship is how he and I, we're both quite different with our writing styles and our approaches and even with the kinds of books that we write. And yet God still keeps us unified. We are still together. And creative differences between Christians, it is an incredibly beautiful thing. Although let's try to take a minute to point out though, when it comes to differences, you know, differences being wonderful, we're not talking about the consequential kinds of differences. You know, the foundation. Yeah, the foundations of the faith, like the Trinitarian God, Christ's Lordship as the Son of God, the Bible's authority. Now, all those things are things that Christians should not be contradicting each other on. That should be a unified point. Amen. 
And yeah, uh, Sin Nature is another one that has caused some division too. We are we both agree on that one too. Yes, yes. Again, all the most essential things for Christians to all agree on. Now, when it comes to creative differences, however, we're really talking about the way we go about writing or creating. Because I, I know Matt that here he really prefers to not just think of himself as a writer. You like what you've said for yourself that you prefer to think of yourself as a, what, what would you say? I would prefer to think of myself as a storyteller, and I happen to be using the art of writing novels to tell those stories right now. Yes, little fun fact, guys. Kind of similar how my book, Celestial, started out as my game design, and I really wanted to make this a video game, but it ended up translated into book form. He's hoping and originally planned for Gatekeepers to be a TV series of some kind, if he could get the team and can get the chance to produce it. Uh, what was your degree in college again? It, it was pretty cool. It's officially called Cinema Arts and Sciences, which is basically film and video. I have a minor in writing for dramatic television. Yeah, well, So that's where I learned a lot of skills like dialogue writing and characterization because that's all I learned at Columbia College because they basically didn't believe in story structure. They just believed in character development. So that's where I learned the ins and outs of, of writing, really. Yeah, so you can kind of see that that's a different way how he and I are both kind of different, yet still kind of alike in a certain way. <laughs> anyway, but if you really want to get the full scope of how um, he and I are quite different, like, for example, we both have done rounds with drafting with our books, and I prefer a pre-outline style where I prepare myself before I start drafting, and then as I draft, I usually try to cram in every little bit of information, every bit of item that I know of. Meanwhile, Matt, he starts with the little story bits, and then he builds up. Right. I connect those story bits in what I learned to use to connect those story bits at treatments in film school. And those treatments are usually about four paragraphs if you're talking about a feature film. Mine are now about 20 pages, but I get pretty detailed with those treatments as kind of a bulwark against uh, writer's block. <laughs> I forgot that for a second, yes. Yeah. Because writer's block can hit and hit pretty hard for me. Yeah. So I've adapted what I've learned from art school into novel writing. It makes sense, too, because, I mean, I get hit with creative block in several places. Although something that I also found that's kind of different between you and me as well is that usually when I draft things, I end up with way more information and way more events than I ever needed. <laughs> and so I end up having to cut back and having to trim and shave it down. <laughs> yeah, I can't relate. I usually start with just the fun stuff, like just the action, just the violence, just the boss fights. And then I have to go in and add the little annoying details like, character developments like <laughs> setting the setting and giving a background all that stuff that dedicated novel writers really enjoy that don't come as naturally to me because i was visually trained so i mean these are the kinds of differences though that i do greatly admire in other people like you i mean i could never follow into the discovery method i i know i couldn't <laughs> however I think even authors, filmmakers, game designers, often we love communing together, but sometimes those situations crop up where those differences that we have with our methods kind of seem to make us clash. 
we start arguing over which is better. Like, for example, you know, his level of violence for his books is significantly higher than what I do, even though some people consider me pretty violent in certain places as well. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yes, the ACFW would disqualify my work because they would measure it as gratuitous, but that's just kind of the style that I went with, and there is a reason why, but we'll get to that, I know. Yes, we definitely will. So, but again, sometimes people like you and I, where we have these differences, sometimes that makes them butt heads, and then they don't want to get along with each other. It causes skepticism towards each other, like suddenly you're not thinking the way I do, so you must be wrong, and I don't like you kind of thing. That's how the internet works. Well, that's true. That's how the internet works, social media works. It's like it's, it's a war zone, the game, except that game <laughs> never ends. <laughs> and then it causes skepticism toward ourselves. In my case, sometimes I look to someone else, and I see how they're different from me, and I kind of envy them for it, and then I start feeling like I'm less of a writer or less of a creative in comparison to that person you know that that happens sometimes yeah Yeah, or how or imagining to myself how the big wigs of the publishing or how the big wigs of the of the celebrity reviewers will like stare down their nose at me for the way that i've written and the story that i want to tell that's not a good feeling to have yeah it isn't and you know that skepticism towards each other and skepticism towards ourselves what does that cause? It causes the comparison game, a.k.a. the game nobody wins, ever. But then we realize, though, that since God made all humanity and he has called his people to himself, so why do these differences drive us apart sometimes? You know, why is it that it seems to cause arguments? And that's when we have to stop for a second and realize, wait a sec, differences themselves don't cause arguments. People cause arguments. It's a factor in our sin natures that we tend to quarrel and a comparison game is a fight to the top, isn't it? It's the battle where I'm not worth anything unless I'm top dog. It's the, it's a matter of sin nature. It's selfish pride and selfish pride, it always causes derision and division, not the differences themselves. Really, we're just using differences as a means to coddle our human pride and our self-pity. That seems to be the case, I would say. I would say so, too. Well, then that kind of brings up the question, you know, if these differences aren't really the problem for derision and division, then what is the purpose behind these creative differences between Christian creatives? And those of you listening, you already know the answer. We turn to the scriptures. Oh, by the way, before we continue, guys, I think I heard a little voice in the microphone. <laughs> I think we got another little guest. It is. It's my son, Luke. He is almost a year old. He's grown up so fast. <laughs> and he is a genius. He is multi-talented. He already knows seven languages and is majoring in engineering and physics. He's just the best baby in the world. <laughs> Of course, he's certainly the best because he's yours, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only reason. <laughs> yeah, but I have to admit, he is an adorable little guy. I've seen many pictures of him. And Matt here is that. Matt he is a very dedicated father, and I really love hearing him talk about his son and wanting to raise his son. So 
I we really appreciate that. So if you hear a little voice in this episode, it's our little buddy Luke. <laughs> yes, it is Mr. Dr. Professor Luke giving us his doctoral dissertation on the topic at hand. <laughs> and speaking of the topic at hand, now we're going to go into the scriptures about how our differences within the church, the creative differences, are important. Because according to the Bible's perspective, our creative differences should cultivate church unity, inhibit sinful error, enrich and expand our outreach, and replace our self-reliance with God-reliance. Absolutely. And there is an absolutely amazing whole chapter in the Bible that speaks to these truths. And you know what? It's so special and so large that I've asked Matt to share reading this together. So I'm going to start. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you're following in your Bibles, we are reading from the ESV version. Yes! Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. I want to ask you a question real quick. Would you yeah. ever consider narrating an audiobook? Because that was amazing. <laughs> All aside, though, that the passage alone just encompasses just about everything. So let's explore these points now that we have read 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, let's start with the first one, Matt. The first thing we talked about was that it cultivates church unity. And you hear that sort of language throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? I mean, the whole time with every different talent, every different gift from the Spirit, the Apostle Paul, through the Lord's prompting, emphasizes that it's all from the same Spirit. That it all, it all comes from the same God, the same Holy Spirit that empowers us to do what we do. So Christian creatives, the thing is, is that the, the obstacle that we talked about earlier is when Christian creatives start butting heads because they're doing it differently than me, so they must be wrong. And again, this, right. is, this isn't about serious differences like Christ's lordship and the Trinity. We're talking about the smaller things. When I hear this, I can't help but think of the example that we saw during Jesus' ministry. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to read these two verses back to back. This is Luke 9.49 and Mark 9.38. This is when the disciples were talking to Jesus here. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. And then following that up with Mark chapter 9, verse starting on verse 38. John said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Yeah, that's right, Luke. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I guess that was an amen from Luke. And I can't help but feel convicted by this one Matt because I know that I struggle sometimes not to feel angry or sometimes feel threatened when I meet another Christian creative who is also of the faith who also agrees in the important things and say they write an angel story and they're not doing it with a biblical foundation like the way I tried to do right it's like I could easily tell that they kind of didn't bother trying to keep it consistent with scriptural depiction. They have right. female angels, or maybe these angels become human and marry a person. Yeah. <laughs> In fiction, we understand that fiction sometimes you don't have to be realistic. It's just I always kind of felt like a conviction that if we're going to try to portray something like angels, we should do it with a biblical foundation to make it as plausible as possible. Hence why I jumped through all those hoops to do it with Celestial. But in the sense of the way I 
acted or my attitude towards the Christian creative who writes angels but doesn't do it that way. It's so easy for me to be vindictive and to be like they're my enemy. When right here, even the Lord emphasized, if they are with you, if they are glorifying my name in their work, they're not against you. They're with us. And it should cultivate unity. And I'll admit, uh, even in front of this audience, that there was a brief period where I kind of struggled that with that even with you, Matt. I mean, when I was reading the gruesome depictions in your book, and I have a pretty high threshold when it comes to most people, especially in my own family. But there were a few points when I was like, gosh, I, I'm not too comfortable with this. And I feel a little convicted. And there was also, I know, and then there was another point about your works where, you know, you're introducing certain things to your fantasy world. Elements like Lilith as like this former wife that God presented to Adam. And then, at, then she rejected being his wife. And then she kind of became this demon mistress of some sort, if I remember that correctly, in your book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I remember reading that, and I was, like, having a conniption with it on the inside. Yeah! I will say, though, based upon your uh, your rating system, as you read more of my books and as your audience reads more of my books, the biblical accuracy points, mm-hmm. that's definitely going to go up, but the violence points are also going to go down because of how they become more biblically uh, coherent. Right, I right. already know that my violence points is, like, at zero, so... It'll just drop into the negatives. That's fine. But yeah, I mean, stay with me. I promise it will make sense in the end. No, I do I will trust still take you. Creative liberties. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I I do trust you though, and I do. It, there, the thought did cross my mind that the further the story goes, the more the lies will be dispelled, and so on. It, it's just that when I was first starting that out, I was struggling with that. But you know, I am very blessed that I stuck with it, and I'm also very blessed that he gave you as a friend to me because this is an area I needed to grow in because eventually I had to stop looking at you with scorn or with any sort of skepticism. It's not that I scorned you. Sorry. It's not, <laughs> it's not that I hated you. No, it's, it's okay. Like, I, I, it's, it, it's fine. It's it's because of the style I've written that I've already gotten like other creatives like looking down their nose. Not the elitist that I've already mentioned, but just other creatives. Like, why are you writing for like 12-year-old boys. This is just like cartoon stuff. But it's it's that way for a reason. Well, hey, I it like entertains. it. Yeah, people do like it. Yeah. I've never gotten a negative review on this book, but also relatively few people know about it. <laughs> yeah, again, guys, buy it. Try it out, uh, unless you got a squeamish stomach. <laughs> but, um, but again, though, it really challenged me, and the Lord used you to remind me that Hannah... Matt is not your enemy. I have given him this particular story to reach certain people. And we're going to touch on that even a little later. But yeah. it's like there's there's a beauty to the fact that he's able to write something that you clearly couldn't. Because I couldn't bring myself to write what he does. But <laughs> later on, we're going to find the benefits here. But the whole point here is the attitude. It's all about the attitude. If we carry the attitude that the other person in our in our own church family is against right. us just because they're not following your method or their writing style or creating style isn't yours then and that is right. an attitude check and coming up to the next benefit to us having creative differences within Christ's church as creatives it inhibits sinful error and you know before we start talking about that i'm going to real quick read from Hebrews 3:12 through 14 which says 
Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, when there are creative differences between us, then that also allows us to see any sort of misstep that may lead to a problem that we're blind to. You know, if everyone saw things the same exact way, everyone would also have the same exact blind spots. It's true. It's very true. Yeah, so Christian creatives who are different than ourselves are better able to point out dangerous oversights that we miss while we're doing things. And plus, if they're able to point those out to us and we're willing to listen to the pointers that they have, then it allows us to grow in areas that we never could if we operated on our own. Exactly, exactly. I can probably count on both hands all the times when I worked with other Christian creatives who pointed out things in my own book that I was completely blind to that I didn't notice would be a problem. One one such example that I can think of, uh, actually, I'm going to give two examples. The first one that comes to mind was my friend Crystal Grant. And guys, you should really check out Crystal Grant. She's coming out with a new book called Shadowcast. It is amazing. In fact, I like to call Shadowcast, I like to call Celestial and Shadowcast sister books because, you know, similar to C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, how Lord of the Rings and Narnia kind of developed side by side with each other. That was the same between me and Crystal. We were developing Celestial and Shadowcast in their early years. So they're practically sister books at this point. Ah. So we beta read each other. And Crystal's book is really good. She also really enjoyed my book. But without her, and we are different in certain ways. Without her, I never would have noticed some specific flaws that I wasn't seeing. Like, for example, my character Lazio, uh, she liked him. But then she showed me how some of the things I had him doing and saying kind of made him annoying and that he was just a bit too over the top and I never would have noticed that because if he became annoying and over the top then some of the points I wanted to make with his character development wouldn't have come through nearly so well then there's my dad he's not a writer but he also pointed out some mistakes I was making or some things that he found concerning somewhat uh, with some of my Uh, decisions nothing too terrible like he didn't question if I was accidentally ruining the gospel message but there were points when he felt like maybe I made my angels a little too humanish like they were quarreling a little too much Um, Ah, and then and then I'll even point out Matt here Matt you have been helping me out with my new book that I'm working on right now Celestial Age of Silence and I'm not going to share what he's pointed out to me guys because I'm kind of keeping Age of Silence close to my chest for the moment But he uh, read an early draft of my outline, and there were several points that he found where I was not quite hitting a certain point with one of the characters. And I'm so so thankful he pointed that out because I knew something was wrong. I just couldn't figure it. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm sure sure you've had similar situations when someone completely different from you pointed things out. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of creatives uh, have pointed to my book in the early stages. Well, I shouldn't say that. They didn't do it in time for the uh, for the publishing date, but a lot of people wanted to because they were just so intrigued by what I was going for and the style that I was writing and why I was writing it. I did have my wife actually 
for one thing, she wanted me to rename my main character because the name that I had given him was, wasn't scary. It wasn't like forceful. It wasn't. It didn't command awe, and she was right, honestly. So <laughs> I figured out what that original name meant, and then I found other names that came from that same region, and I made a list of the names that I found that I liked. And Hirok was one of those names, and she was the one who actually chose Hirok. <laughs> the second point was in some of the very earliest drafts of the book, in the scene where we meet Norbeg, the Nephilim rat monster, he goes in and he destroys a, it's a temple, but it's not a temple to the true god, it's a temple to a local deity. And that part is ultimately cut away, but for the first, like, three or four drafts it was in there, and my wife was telling me, look, you have to have some measure of hope, even at the beginning of the story, where, of course, everything is hopeless. And so, eventually, I had it to where the people could escape into that temple and be safe from him. And what that really turned into was he just not care about them because they're just out of his line of sight. And then, ultimately, that part was even cut out. But my wife was right that... There has to be some measure of hope, even in like the complete darkness, because that gives the a narrative contrast, and a narrative in contrast is far more interesting. Something I learned personally reading George R. R. Martin's *The Game of Thrones*, which has no contrast at all and is not fun to read. Yeah, I never read them myself, but I, I can, based on what I've heard about the show, I can see how that can be the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, the show actually has quite a bit more contrast in it because the character motivations are uh, extremified just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like Jon Snow, for example, is actually trying to do the right thing, and in the book, he isn't. Mm. He's just as self-interested as the rest of the characters, and that just creates this malaise of gray morality. Oh. Aside from Ned Stark, but even Ned Stark's morality, uh, the mm. book is... is is very similar to the show, but it's different in some significant ways that I found it less fun to experience in the show. Yeah. A story with no contrast is like a symphony with one note. Yes, but in George R. R. Martin's case, it's like slightly different notes, and and none of them are pleasant. A note and a flat. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 800 pages of unpleasantness. Oish. Just everybody looking out for themselves and everybody being narcissistic and everybody trying to one up each other. Yeah. I mean, everybody, even Ned Stark and Jon Snow, which was too bad. Well, maybe he didn't have a buddy different from himself to point that out. <laughs> or he didn't the care. The thought has crossed my mind. He, <laughs> his context is New York, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Now we can actually get to that part that I kind of held back for a minute. Because our third point that 1 Corinthians 12 really emphasized about the beauty and the purpose to our creative differences is that it enriches and expands our outreach. So listen in right here to Romans 12, verses 3 through 7. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, 
the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I know some of you listening might hear that and think, okay, but how does that talk about enriches and expands our outreach? Well, again, listen to, pay attention to the list of giftings and roles that are described here. They all serve a different function from prophecy to faith to service to teaching. And it goes far beyond there. And the reason being is that without these things, without the big variety of these things, these gifts from the spirit, it would not enrich the church, nor would it expand our outreach. If we are sick on the inside and we're lacking something inside, how are we going to be reaching outward? And because we have all these plethora of means to disciple one another and to in turn evangelize outside of ourselves, then our differences, the ones that God feels, whether that be a spiritual gift or a talent, it, it exponentially expands our outreach because here's something that some people don't notice and it's something that's important for us to always remember is that everyone has the same spiritual needs. However, individuals have different entertainment needs. Thus, unique. Yes. Thus, uniquely talented creatives in his church, through them, Christ's message can be heard by every kind of audience. Because if all Christian creatives ex express the gospel message only in romance, then only people who are interested in romance are ever going to see it or hear it. <laughs> you know, so when someone is different as a creative filmmaker, game designer, musician, whatever, if they're glorifying the Lord and they're doing it in the style that God has gifted them to do it in, then they are able to reach someone that you, technically you couldn't because you don't you're not gifted in that particular style. Like Exactly. Yeah. Just show up. Yeah. For example, between me and Matt, I am a purist in the vein of the Lord of the Rings. I love heavily detailed and accurate storytelling. So I like to take what's real and contextualize it. In Matt's case, however, with his marvelous dark fantasy story he's 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 basically could be labeled as a romanticist within the veins of like the greatest showman and the video game dynasty warriors basically it's emotionally grandiose and larger than life like if you watch the musical the greatest showman which is one of my favorite modern musicals now it's clearly it's loosely based on what's true but it does take a lot of liberties, but you know, when I look at that movie, I kind of look at it as like, this is totally the kind of story that P.T. Barnum himself would make. Because You he... mean to tell me that Phineas Barnum wouldn't have just broken out in song on the streets of New York? <laughs> what? No, I think he definitely would. He would. <laughs> he, 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 he would uh, sing like crazy, I think. But, <laughs> I mean... I mean, the whole thing, though, is that, you know, while the story itself takes loose historical beats, it's the feeling it makes that is what P.T. Barnum is after because he was a man who was all about making people smile. And if that meant a great story that flanderizes the truth, that's what he would go for. So he's a romanticist. Just exactly. Like, just romanticism like a... in, the, uh, in the classical sense, not romanticism in, like, the, the genre sense. Yeah, not, not romance, like kissy, kissy. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that's completely different from what I'm doing, which is like what Tolkien would do. He would like construct through realistic rules to create something that felt feasibly 
real. So right, right. Yeah, he was trying to create something new as well for specifically the nation of England. And what I'm trying to do is point back to the heroes of our faith and the saints that got us where we are today. And I think <laughs> Roman Catholics have a better idea of this, but Protestants don't. And that's why I'm writing it for one thing, and also why I'm writing it the way I am writing it because, like Dynasty Warriors, it's fun to experience the the Three Kingdoms period while also fighting alongside griffins and magic tigers and all kinds of other attack spirits and things like that. And what the saints did was pretty impressive, even if they weren't literally slicing demons in half or what have you. (laughs) They were still doing some great things. They still brought the gospel to places that had never heard the gospel, that in fact were very antagonistic towards the gospel. Mm -hmm. But they did it anyway. And with both types, me the purist, him the romanticist, we meet the entertainment needs for specific kinds of individuals that the other couldn't. Like, I can honestly say that my mom probably would not get into Matt's uh, romanticist-style uh, gatekeeper series because she is kind of, like, into, like, being factual when it comes to real people or people who existed before. And she, of course, is not big on violence. But, <laughs> so, yeah, so, but my, my sort of work with what I did with my book, she finds that more enjoyable because I took time with scripture to, to portray angels properly. With Matt's work, I can definitely see other individuals preferring his thing because they want the big sweeping adventure that's more about feel, feeling bigger than it is. It leaves an impression on them, an emotional impression. I think that's what led you to start writing Gatekeepers. Like, you were telling me a story years back. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you want to share that? Back, all the way back in year 2016, which is ancient history for the Zoomers listening. I was a senior in college, and it was my last semester on the college campus in Chicago, and I had a roommate named Quinton Sanders. He is Quinton, the number three run on Instagram. He is awesome. He's he's like a grand sensei ninja. He can do all kinds of crazy things because he's a parkour and stuntman. He's very good at it. And I want to introduce him to a franchise called Berserk. And Berserk lives up to its name in all the best possible ways. It's a manga that was then adapted into an anime that then became a trilogy of movies. What I was showing Quentin was the trilogy of movies and we started where every good story starts at the beginning with movie number one. And it's 20 minutes of just pure, violent, blood-soaked awesomeness. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It really is. Like, we actually had to pause after the first five minutes to recover. And he told me, wow, what an intro. It really is that good. So is that going to put, like, saving Private Ryan into shame? Yes. Oh, oh yes. wow. It's- that must be... Okay, go on, go on. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's very exaggerated violence, and it's in a medieval context, so it's, there's none of the, there's none of the, like, one-shot kills. It's people having to, like, hack at each other to actually get the deed done. But 20 minutes into the film, there is a quiet scene. There's finally some peace, and the main character and a female character are together in bed, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know what the context is. You know who the main character is, but you haven't really met the female character yet. Well, the moment the main character wakes up, the female character is already, she's already awake. And she gets up out of bed, just no explanation, no contact. She just gets up. And we don't know why she, and we still don't know why she was in the first place, but she's naked. Mm. And Quentin 
make some like explanation of like, oh no, oops, and he laughs it off and he covers his eyes. But at that moment, I felt really bad, not just because he was trying to defend his purity, but also because we were having all this fun for 20 minutes. It's just 20 minutes of fun. And now at this moment, that fun gets ruined because of this nudity. And at that moment, I realized with the gatekeeper's idea that I had been kind of tossing around in my head, this is what I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a Christian berserk without the nudity, without the profanity, that other Christian men can enjoy and not have to worry about those two other things. Yeah, meeting a niche, the audience, a niche audience need that I really couldn't. Because hearing you describe that, I know I couldn't go that far, but you could. (laughs) So look at your different Christian creative and realize that God has given them a certain story or a certain style that's going to meet another person where they are with the word, where you can't, and vice versa. Of course, that brings up the last part, because with all of the good things that come out of these differences, Christ is behind it all. It's not us who does it. It's him who does it, which is what brings up the last major point uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. If you stop looking at differences through our propensity for sinful pride and self-pity and look at it through Christ's view, then our differences will be replaced from self-reliance to God-reliance. Because we are all one body and are meant to use our differences, not to segregate ourselves to ourselves, because that's an easy thing to do. We can start taking pride in our differences, like, I'm not like them, I'm better. (laughs) But instead, we need to use our differences to build God's kingdom up. Here's the fact, guys. Every Christian was predestined and shaped for the works God planned. Like I just said a minute ago, what... What great things and wonderful things come out of these creative differences in the glorification of God's name before others? All those good things come from him to begin with. Thus he purposely, yeah, thus he purposely meant for us not to create like someone else. And we must rely on him to seek the way he wants us specifically to create. In in fact, I'll read Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In speaking of that, the fact that he's prepared these things before us, it really puts your whole life into new perspective. And not just for Christian creatives, every single Christian on the planet, whatever field of mission work God sent them to. And it's true, every Christian is a missionary, even if they didn't like move to Uganda and aren't giving food and digging wells. You are a missionary as an accountant or as a dancer or as an airplane pilot. You are a missionary in that field, and God prepared your entire life for that. And I can say the same for myself because even though I didn't see it happening, the Lord was preparing me to write a book like Celestial. When I was very young, I had an abnormal love for reading the Bible, you know, just for the fun of it. You know, I I grew up out of that, of course, you know, where I still have fun reading it, but now I do it more so I can learn more about God more and not just to build up facts in my head. But yeah, yeah, but when I was a kid, I loved learning facts. I loved history. I loved science. I pretty much loved my schoolwork 
very, very much. And the Bible, when I understood it to be a history book, the best history book, I was absorbing it on my own quite often. I'd be reading through, I would be like a little 10-year-old taking my Bible and just purposely sitting with it just to read First Samuel, just so I could learn everything that happened in King David's life. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just love doing it. Yeah, you're a purist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so, but now I see how that kind of led me up to this point where I would do a story on angels because if I didn't already have a good grasp on the Bible as a whole beforehand it would have taken me way more than three months to study everything that it had to say on angels and do it um, carefully and to yeah and and, and that's just a small example other examples would include my life as a dancer I know that doesn't make much sense as far as angels are concerned but you know angels many of them are warriors there's a lot of fighting in my story because that's what they do Um, but being a dancer really helped me out because I've been dancing for like 20 years and since I was 16 years old and I started teaching, I had to learn to choreograph. And so I have a, I have a pretty decent awareness about body movement and arm positioning and muscle movement as well as how to connect movements together. So in writing Celestial, I already had the background I needed in order to choreograph a fight scene that actually would make sense and what I could actually describe well. Okay. So those are things that kind of helped me out. And, you know, when I look at that, I mean, there were times when I was writing and I would feel self-conscious, you know, particularly in certain areas where I feel like I don't write nearly as well as someone else does. Like, I'll even admit right now, I feel pretty weak at dialogue a lot of the times. And I, oh. and then I listen to um, or read The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and I'd be drooling at the mouth. His dialogue is amazing. It's like, I just, I mean, there's a reason why the original lines from the book have almost never been changed with every adaptation, every movie that ever does Christmas Carol. There's no need to, because it's so good. And I feel the same about Charlton Heston's uh, The Ten Commandments. I love watching that movie. Every line from every character is just oozing with meaning and oozing with character. And I listen to that, and I'm like, Oh, I wish I could write dialogue like that. But, right. Yeah, but then the Lord, I have to remember, the Lord designed me for a particular story, and he, in his own way, he's saying, Hannah, you're my daughter. I didn't make you to write like Charles Dickens. I made Charles Dickens to write like Charles Dickens. I made you to write like you, because I want you to write this story. And, I, I mean, I'm quite sure there are also areas in, in, in your life where you just feel weak in certain areas, but you realize all the ways that God prepared you for making Crusade of the Emerald Gale. Right, yeah. Crusade of the Emerald Gale kind of came out of the entertainment that I was consuming. Even when I was, ironically enough, when I was 12 years old, the age that, for some reason, creative people don't seem to want to sell to boys of that age, but... Boys of that age do consume media, and they consume very, very intense, very high action, very fast-paced media, and so that's what I created. But it's an insecurity that I have that I know will sound strange is actually my world building because I'm doing basically the yeah I'm doing basically the same thing that the author I don't like George R. R. Martin did, which is where I just copy and paste the history book. And I do have a lot of respect for the J.R.R. Tolkien types or the uh, Robert E. Howard types or even 
to some degree Edgar Rice Burroughs, even though Edgar Rice Burroughs didn't really world build. He did create a very entertaining world, though, and he did it just from his imagination. And that's what Tolkien and Robert E. Howard did, was just create an entire world, an entire universe. Mm. And that's not what I did for Gatekeepers. And yeah, that, that humbles me, because... In some ways, world building is also kind of a staple of fantasy. That's what people know fantasy for is like an entirely expansive playground of creative and fascinating things, right. entirely not like our world. But my world is very much like our world. Even though I do take quite a bit of creative liberties, I know ultimately that I did base most of what I built upon on what happens in real life, the events and the geography. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, in my side, I thought you did great with your world building. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. History already did it for me. Yeah. But it's not something that I, like, I just did. I sat down and I and I would draw out, like, the geography or whatnot. I didn't do that. I just copied and pasted. So people who do do that, I'm like, ooh, I need to get out of my game. Yeah. And, and, and again, when you take those desires and uh, your desire to learn greater world building and coupled with events like what happened with your friend there that was god preparing you to make crusade of the emerald gale it was it was yeah it was and when you brought up like you feel intimidated by tolkien i feel intimidated by tolkien also as a world builder and also <laughs> with his imagery is like i sometimes also feel really weak or really uh self-conscious about making good imagery because i read tolkien wow. i'm i'm reading through his unfinished tales right now and I just right. love the way he describes things. It's like, it's just so dang good. And forever in yeah, my mind, yeah. forever in my mind, when the first time I read The Lord of the Rings, there were two scenes that stuck in there. Even now, after all these years, 10 years later, it was the scene in right. the caves, and it was the scene when Faramir brought Frodo and Sam to his, uh, his holding spot, his outpost, and the way yeah. Tolkien described the waterfall there and how the light was caught in it is like, oh. That just came to my mind. So when I write Celestial, sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, I hope I'm doing good at this. But again, God made me to write like me, and he made you to write like you to praise his name before others and to enrich each other and to challenge each other and to, to grow together. That's what our differences are for. So we can't let our sinful pride and self-pity blind us of that and fall into derision and division. Yeah, we have to be on guard just as much against the sins of passivity, just as much as Yeah, we probably need to wind this down now, but in... Yeah, I know. We, we don't want to end it, do we, Luke? <laughs> Luke, it's okay. We, we have more toys than, we have more toys than the apartment, little guy. <laughs> right. And my listeners, in closing... It's important for us to remember, it's crucial to be aware of differences, both the good and the bad kinds. Because like we mentioned in the beginning, there are differences that matter, and there are differences that don't matter nearly as much when it comes to our faith. However, as we've been spending this whole episode talking about differences, overfocus on differences can steer us away from the ultimate unifying questions that everyone should ask themselves every day. Am I submissive to the Lord in all that I do and all that I am? And is the fact that I am submissive to the Lord in everything, is that readily apparent to everyone else? 
sin is the common denominator of all mankind. But in the life of a Christian, Christ becomes the new common denominator. Differing approaches is a trifling matter if we're all solely focused on one purpose alone, the glorification and pursuit of fellowship with the biblical God. Yeah. Amen, little buddy. Yes, Luke knows. Luke knows when he's hearing some good truth. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking, I've kind of been thinking as you were talking, when you were saying earlier about um, people who read romances not reading speculative fiction like uh, fantasy and science fiction, I think there's also a tendency for us to read and write science fiction fantasy to kind of write off prairie romances, for example, mm -hmm. or romances in general. And we just say, oh, they're normies. What do they have to teach us about writing fantastical world and escapist fiction and the deeper questions of humanity? Because all you're writing about are just things that happen every day. But I've learned reading a couple of their books now over the course of the last year that there's some lessons to be learned about characters or even settling down or even the value of, of investing in the community within the book. The, the characters that make up the community that the main character inhabits. Yeah. So appreciate the differences and don't be so focused on the differences that you're missing out on the unifying question, are they celebrating the Lord? And in, their in the celebration of the Lord in their story, what can be seen, what can be learned from them that is worth cherishing? That's the winning comments, Luke. Sound the bell. <laughs> all right. Ding, ding, ding. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. And I really am so happy that Matt and even his little buddy Luke got to be with us today. I've been so hoping to get some of my closer friends on this show. So congrats on uh, winning that achievement, Matt. Hi, thank you. Being a dad is among the best things that has ever happened to me. It really is. <laughs> a lot of people get scared of it because they think they're going to lose sleep and have a lot of work to do. And both those things are true, but it's so enriching, and it's, it's it really is the best. I just don't have anything else to say. It's the best. <laughs> well, God bless you and your son. And once again, everyone, if you want to find out more about Matt, find him on Instagram and TikTok. You'll see tons of great content every single week. He always has amazing book reviews. You're going to love it. And you, if you really are highly interested in his Crusade of the Emerald Gale, the first book of his Gatekeeper series, which soon is going to have its sequel, you can find yes. it. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon and Goodreads. Thank you all for Absolutely. listening. Yeah, uh, thank you all for listening, and tune in next time for our next great episode. And thank you, Hannah, for allowing me to be here and allowing me to talk to you. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about my book and the. <laughs> the writing process behind it. Thanks. You see why I get along so well with him? He, he's just fun. <laughs> it's like, I have, a, I have a lot of fun with him. Thanks again for joining me here on Flying Faith Talks. And hey, if you really like this podcast and you'd like to learn more about me or the website, subscribe to flyingfaith.org and follow Flying Faith on Facebook, MeWe, Instagram, and Pinterest. And hey, subscribers receive exclusive content like updates on the website, updates on my books, sneak peeks, chances for prizes, and the opportunity to connect with me. Anyway, that's all for today. Thanks, guys, and come back soon.